Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hello, and welcome back to The Paddock. Today, we're going to be talking about something extra special, my personal favorite, MotoGP. On the episode, you have myself, Hannah, as I will be teaching you all about MotoGP with some lovely ladies, Leanne, Ido, Amy, and Casey. So let's go ahead and dive on in about what is MotoGP. So a little bit of backstory. So MotoGP is actually considered the oldest motorsport world championship. The first competition was held in 1949. Once the Japanese motorbike industry began to boom in 2002, the world championship was actually rebranded as MotoGP. This also brought the introduction into 990cc racing bikes, which is a type of engine that essentially allows the bike to travel much faster. The premier class of motorcycle racing events are held on road circuits, sanctioned by the Federation Internationale de Motorcyclism, also known as the FIM. The independent motorcycle racing events have been held since the start of the 20th century and large national events were often given the title Grand Prix. The foundation of the FIM as international governing body for motorcycle sports in 1949 provided the opportunity to coordinate rules and regulations in order that selected events could count towards official world championships. It is the oldest established motorsport world championship. Grand Prix motorcycles are purpose-built racing machines that are unavailable for purchase by the general public and unable to be ridden legally on public roads. This contrasts with the various production-based categories of racing, such as the Superbike World Championship, the Isles of Man TT races, which are other motorbike sanctioned events that feature modified versions of road-going motorcycles that kind of are essentially available to the public. The current top division has been known as MotoGP since 2002, when four-stroke engines started becoming a thing. Prior to that, the largest class actually was 500 cc's, both of which form a historical continuum of the official world championships, although all classes have official statuses. Previously known as the 500 cc class, numerous changes over the years mean the current MotoGP engine displacements are actually a thousand cc's now, and it remains one of the most exciting motorsport championships in the world. And honestly, if you've ever watched a race, the racing is quite insane. The championship is currently divided into four classes: so MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, and Moto E, very similar to Formula One for all my Formula One girlies out there. The first three classes use four-stroke engines, while the Moto E class uses electric motorcycles. The most successful rider in Grand Prix history is Giacomo Agonisti, with 15 titles and 122 race wins. In the top flight series, Agonisti holds the title record with eight, followed by Valentino Rossi, my personal favorite, with seven and active writer Mark Marquez, who is currently on the grid, with six. As of 2020, Rossi holds the record for the most top flight race wins with 89. And I'm pretty sure I've said this multiple times, but it is widely known as the Formula One of motorbike racing, aka the pinnacle of two wheel racing. And now I'm going to open it up to the floor for some questions. 
Yeah, you talked a bit about the different MotoGP classes, mentioning MotoGP, GP2, and and three all using four-stroke engines. If these three classes all use the same engine type, why are there different classes? Can you expand on that? Yeah, so while they all use four-stroke engines, the MotoGP bikes are essentially more powerful. The units used in Moto2 will feature 765cc, which are three-cylinder engines. That is about 140 horsepower, which comes out to be a top speed of about 160 to 180, while bikes used in Moto3 are about 250cc with one cylinder, which is about 60 horsepower. So the top speed of that is about 110, 115 for my US people. Then MotoGP bikes use four-cylinder um, engines, which is about 1,000cc maximum engine capacity, and that's put about 250 horsepower, which means the top speed, depending on your weight, because that makes a huge difference on the bike, it's about 190 to about 225 miles per an hour. So while they all use four-stroke engines, the different CCs on the bike are relatively different. So as I, and I can compare that to me. So I first rode a bike and when I first rode it, it was a 300cc bike. That top speed was about 115, but I'm also extremely light. So it also depends on that and your turn radius, how you duck with the aerodynamics, all that. So just here's a little bit of a clarification for those who might be confused by the term CC. Uh, it actually stands for cubic centimeter. And if you're familiar with like car engines, it's typically in liters. So for a comparison, the 1,000 cc's of the MotoGP, that's equal to one liter. So a lot of times you'll hear in like the car engine world, they'll talk about like, oh, it's a 1.2, 1. blank liter thing. But cc's, it's just... A different unit of measurement. I also essentially think it's they're, they're wanting to be different and complicated in a sense by using CCs because it confuses me when I first <laughs> learned it. <laughs> but thank you, Casey. I appreciate that. And now let's dive in about what the teams are and who is currently on the grid. So I'm going to dive into each team and then the drivers that represent that team. So let's start off with Aprilla Racing. We have Maverick, Venus and Lorenzo Sabadori and Alex Esperangul. Then we have Crypto Data R&F, which has Raul Fernandez and Miguel Oliveira. And then probably one of my favorite teams, Ducati Len Lenovo, which has Francesco Baganai, Danilo Petrucci, Anna Bastanini, and Michel Perot. And then we have Gas Gas, Factory Racing Tech 3, which has Augusto Fernandez, Paul Esperango, and Jonas Folger. Our next teams are going to be Granessi Racing, which has Fabio de Gentono and Alex Marquez. Then we have LRC Honda, which has, and I'm sorry that I'm going to mispronounce this name, which is Taki Nakanami and Alex Rins. We have Monster Energy Yamaha, probably the most known on the grid, which has Fabio Cacciararo and Franco Morabelli. Then we have the Mooney VR46 Racing Team, which has Luca Marini and Marco Bastini. Prima Parmic Racing, which Prima, while is in MotoGP, also is in Formula Racing. As a fun fact, which has Johan Vacol and George Martin, 
Red Bull KTM Factory Racing, which has Danny Pedroso, Brad Binder, and Jack Miller. And then Repsol Honda Team, which has Iker Lushini, Jean Mann, Marc Marquez, and Stefan Bandal. One thing to know about Stefan is he's also a part of the HRC testing team, which means at the beginning of the season, he tests a lot of the bikes. And any major changes to the bikes, he is the one that helps test them to make sure that they're safe to be ridden on the track before FIM officially like rolls them out. And then I'm not going to dive into all 24 drivers on the grid and their current standing. So I'm just talk about the top five. So the top five drivers currently on the grid are Francesco Baganai in first, George Martin in second. Marco Bastini in third, Brad Binder in fourth, and Johan Zarco in fifth. So one thing to note is there's not a stipulation of how many drivers you could have essentially on a team. Um, it really comes down to money in this sport. So if you have enough money, you can have all the drivers in the world. Now there is a cap. I think you have to have, you can't have more than five drivers on a team, but you can't have any less than two. If you have just two and another team has five, it is what it is. And does anybody have any questions? I guess I've heard, I guess through social media and things that people have been posting that Honda's not really good, but I typically associate Honda with motorbike racing. Is there a reason why people are like upset that Honda's just not doing well or that they aren't doing well or kind of what's the deal with that? So I think Honda is more just like they're a really reliable bike off the track and in personal. But the thing is, is they're very stagnant. So they're not very technologically making the advancements that are needed to stay with the competitors like Ducati and Yamaha is doing, um, which are the top two teams close to Red Bull, KTN, and Prima. So that's kind of where they are. So they're a really good team and they're a very good bike but they lack some of those technological advances that other teams have, which is why you kind of get that stipulation, like, do we like you, do we not, that type of thing. I've been watching MotoGP off and on for a little bit, but I am nowhere near as knowledgeable, knowledgeable as Hannah. That's why she's the one running this episode. But I really need to know, Hannah, what you think is causing Fabio Quattararo's juice with Yamaha. I've always seen him do relatively well, at least I always have memories of seeing him do well in MotoGP. You see him being able to bounce back. Like, what's what's just going on with him? I have not been keeping tabs, so I just really need to know what's going on with my personal favorite. Now, you bring up a good kind of conversation with that. I think the last four rounds, he's finished in like outside the top 10. And he's had issues with like the bike manufacturer, like warnings, incidents, and all that. There's actually a rumor going around that he is going to leave Yamaha for Honda. So just a quick note about that. I definitely do think that he has opportunity to bounce back. He is a great driver and he is getting pretty close to being up there with like Mark Marquez's amounts of wins, which is if anybody knows Mark Marquez's wins, he's he's pretty high up there um, as far as like history books. He's also known while he's one of the tallest on the grid, which is not known for MotoGP. He's got the best like overtaking skills on the grid. And that's kind of what makes him that untouchable, I want you type of person. I hope that the next couple races kind of shine a light on his true ability versus just seeing him kind of being stagnant, but we'll see. I mean, 
I will compare him to Mark Marquez for a second. Mark Marquez has not been a podium finisher since last October when he had his motorcycle incident and had surgery, but he is still well known as one of the most greatest drivers out there. Sometimes we go through phases. It's hard in MotoGP because if you don't have a significant race, it's hard to bounce back from that. Now to dive in kind of what a race weekend looks like. So MotoGP season has about 18 rounds with each weekend featuring three 45-minute practice sessions. A rider time counts towards whether he will take part in the first qualifying segment or the second. So the 10 fastest go into QP2 and the rest compete in QP1 and the fastest two progress to the second round. This times in the first part will make up the grid positions for 13 and below, while the second section decides the top 12 positions. Races on Sunday are about 40 to 45 minutes. Depending on the track and the track length, pit stops rarely take place, but they are allowed, especially in wet conditions when riders can switch to a bike with different tire specifications. So just a quick note about that is when you go into a pit stop, they can't lift up the bike and change the tires and everything. So that's why you see them switch bikes. So that's why a lot of them will have like two to three bikes with different tire modifications, different backups. That way, when you come in, probably the fastest pit stops known is you go in, you hop off, you hop on, you go. Points are rewarded to the top 15 from 25 for the fastest driver to one point for the man who crosses the line in 15th. It has also been seen where if they damage the bike or get stuck in a wreck, you can see them actually running back to the paddock to get another bike. This is more known in like qualifying and practice sessions than in races because when you're in races, you're essentially out. But the current point systems for the Grand Prix races are in first place, you get 25 points. In second, you get 20. Third, you get 16. Fourth, you get 13th, 5, 11, 6, 10, 7, 9, 8, 8, and then so on down to 15th with 15th having one point. And then the current point systems for sprint races, which were brand new this year, and the positions and points go as followed. So in first place, you get 12 points, second, nine, third, seven, four, six, five, five, six, four, and then so on down to ninth gets one point. So from ninth to first only get points. Now you may ask, what is the difference of races? So here we go. 2023, we saw the introduction of sprint race events. These tracks take place on Saturday of the race weekend with the traditional Grand Prix taking place on Sunday. The sprint races are shorter, approximately half the length of a Grand Prix. So riders score approximately half the points in these races. While the track action begins on Friday, as usual, as seen in previous year, it now contains two practice sessions in each class, now called P1 and P2. So the premier class results will determine who makes it into Q2 automatically and who has to go down the Q1 route. So qualifying will take place on Saturday morning starting at 10.50 a.m. That's kind of like set in stone for MotoGP after a 30-minute practice session, and the results will determine the starting positions on the grid for both MotoGP Sprint and Sunday's full race. How will the main event on Saturday work? Well, it's quite simple. As mentioned, qualifying determines the grid, and the riders will line up in their respective positions for lights out. The Sprint lasts roughly half the amount of time of Sunday's race. 
And that varies between Grand Prix to Grand Prix. So if Sunday's race is 20 laps, for example, then the sprint is 10 laps. So it's basically essentially half of the race for sprint as race day. Championship points will be rewarded differently for Sunday too, with 12 points handed to the winner going all the way down to one point for the top nine finishers. With the shortened distance, you can be sure there will be action from the get-go as riders go all out to gain any advantage they can. Lights out in the sprint will be about 1,500 local time usually. It's also worth noting that victories and podiums don't count towards the Riders Grand Prix total actually for the sprint race, but rather a new category was created, which is one for the history books, to keep the accomplishments separate. So at the end of the year, this year, and it will be new for all of us, you have basically the championship winner, and then you'll have the sprint championship winner. I don't know why you wouldn't round them in together, but they've decided to do it separate. We'll see if they change their mind by the end of the season because I'm pretty sure some adjustments are going to be made for 2024. Sunday, though, does see a change to the morning schedule, too, with MotoGP riders getting 10 minutes on the track for some final tweaks ahead of the big race, which is lights out and away we go. Racing gets underway with Moto3 up first. Then it turns to Moto2 shortly after. And then after all those races complete, we go into MotoGP. With the podium ceremony penciled in shortly after, which they do all the ceremonies kind of back to back to back. So it's normally 18 races, but this year we actually have 20 destinations awaiting. It is set to be one of the craziest seasons so far. So now you ask, where does MotoGP race? Before we get started, we don't race on every circuit that F1 does, just to put it in some context. So you'll see some different race circuits in here that you've never seen before. The 2023 MotoGP season consists of 20 Grand Prix. They race in Portugal, Argentina, the US, Spain, France, Italy, Germany, the Netherlands, UK, Austria, Spain, San Marino, India, Japan, Indonesia, Australia, Thailand, Malaysia, Qatar, and Spain. With the last race that just happened was in the UK at the Silverstone Circuit. This weekend, they actually are racing in Spielberg, Austria. So for all of our listeners out there, stay tuned. Hopefully some exciting action happens. And now open to some questions. Since you mentioned that they do race on some of the Formula One tracks, my main thing that I try to wrap my head around is, didn't they adjust one of the race tracks to make it safer for MotoGP? And did it benefit or kind of mess up Formula One? So I think it actually messed up Formula One. Let's be honest with that first. So it was the Austrian GP that they ended up changing. So instead of adding more barriers and essentially closing the track, they added gravel, and then the turn got a little wider. While Formula One, they don't like gravel. Gravel in the tires, messes up traction, all that. But for a motorcycle, when you're crashing at such a high distance, gravel actually slows down the car, which causes the, the impact to be less, if that makes sense. Because a 1,000cc bike going 225 miles per an hour hitting a barrier that bike's going to fly, which it already kind of does. But that gravel essentially slows 
the traction of that bike because with gravel, the tires have no traction, which causes the bike to kind of just fall over. While it's a lose for Formula One, it's actually safer for motorcycles and MotoGP. You've been talking about the schedule and everything, but can you talk about what it's like actually being there live? Have you? I'm assuming you have been there live, right? Right. While I haven't attended any race currently in the 2023 season, I have been very fortunate to attend many MotoGP races in the past. So from about 2018, 2017 to 2022, I essentially lived at the track. So as far as attending a race, I will say it's not as popular as going to like a Formula One race. So I will say the difference between like Formula One and MotoGP, because it's easier for me to relate MotoGP to Formula One for all of our listeners. MotoGP has a little bit more of a niche group. You don't necessarily watch MotoGP to watch MotoGP. You have to have a love for the sport. A lot of people who watch MotoGP have actually ridden. So as far as attending the Grand Prix, it's actually amazing because tickets are a whole lot cheaper. You have a lot more at your flexibility because they're very similar to an indie car, for instance, where you can get passes to the paddock for essentially a lot cheaper. And I don't know, if I had to choose between a Formula One event and a MotoGP, I would choose MotoGP every day. But that's coming from your loving MotoGP fanatic. I think that's the the greatest term to use for that but I would say if you've never attended a MotoGP race I would say at least try it once because you don't know what you're missing out on until you go to it and it's an experience like no other because they do certain things that you don't get to see at other races and then to go into some of the technical aspects we're going to talk about the equipment some of the responsibilities and rules and regulations when it comes to the bikes the uniform bike wear that they have on which is probably some of the most inquisitive things that people would like to know. The MotoGP World Championship does consist of a thousand CC prototypes. The riders are allowed seven engines actually the entire season. Since 2017, all teams use the same electronic management system provided by the championship promoter. Each rider has a limited tire allocation and bikes cannot carry more than 22 liters of fuel. So essentially the gas tank per regulations can only hold so much. So a gas tank can usually hold about 24 liters, but because they don't want it overfilled, they do max it at 22 liters, which they have to measure in a gas tank prior to pouring it into the gas. So the new sporting format for 2023, all after further consolation with the Moto3 and Moto2 teams, the commission confirmed an amendment to the sporting format being introduced for 2023. For these classes only, all three practice sessions are now on Friday and Saturday and will continue to be timed for the purposes of progressing from QP1 to QP2, as mentioned when we talk about like the structure of the weekend. So now that we talked about like the 22 liters you use for race weekend, that is a little different for sprints where you only are allowed to use 12 liters of gas. That is because while you have a shorter race, they also don't want you full strong the whole way and maxing out your gas so quickly. They want it to last longevity wise. So the nice thing about a bike is they use very little fuel. And their components so the gas lasts a lot longer 
They still don't want you over-maximizing the gas, essentially causing issues, overheating the bike, etc. They do have stipulations about the type of gas you can use. So they have alternative method or you can use the normal tank. And then probably my favorite, the swing arm, which is the spoon ground clearance from a MotoGP class. So let's talk about what that is. Following an incident in the 2022 San Marino GP where the swing arm spoon of one machine broke following a contact with the curb, it was decided that the minimum permitted ground clearance should be increased from 15 to 35. The reason is, is because if your swing arm is too high, when it has essentially more room to combust, break. So they lowered the clearance to ensure that the driver had as much safety clearance as possible because it's it's weird to describe, but the, the higher you go, the more at risk you are for issues. The lower and kind of that happy medium clearance, you have a little bit more of a safety wiggle room. And feel free to like contradict me, Casey, for any of my um, tech-related stuff. I'm literally just Googling and looking at pictures of swing arm spoon ground clearances (laughs) as you speak. (laughs) And then the brake disc carriers. So that is continuous to all classes. So after consultation with the suppliers, the following regulations are now confirmed. So they use a composite construction of brake disc carrier, include carbon fire reinforced with glass fiber reinforced and similar, are not permitted and only permitted materials are magnesium and aluminum alloys. So when MotoGP first got started, they used carbon fiber and found out very quickly that when you slam on the brakes and like you basically are doing where your front tires all the way down, your back tires up, that you heard a really bad grinding noise. And there was a run of a risk of fire from too much of a grind. So that's why they switched to more of a magnesium and aluminum alloy, because it's a little less fire resistant. And then to go into the fuel tanks, all which kind of go into all classes. So the material permitted for construction of fuel tanks was confirmed. So the main structure of a fuel tank must be made completely either from steel or aluminum. However, the use of other materials include carbon fiber, airman fiber, and glass fiber is permitted as an add-on only when necessary to add additional stiffness to protection or of like purposes. A lot of times you are laying on the gas tank when you drive. Uh, bike and you do that for aerodynamic if essentially the steel and aluminum you use is too loose has some giveaway they add other components in there to strengthen that gas tank less heat resistant sometimes it even gives you that um where you don't slip and slide because a lot of times when you're sweating or when it's raining you can slip and slide on the gas tank and so the adding that carbon fiber in kind of helps keep everything in because it's a grab if that makes sense lastly on to our tires so michelin's new tire profile was actually introduced in the 2020 and has largely allowed riders to go flat out from lap to the finish line yet it's more applicable in the advanced aero package runs by most of the current six factories current six factories are like yamaha red bull 
Ducati, Honda, Kawasaki, those type of deals. As in the fact, every bike on the grid runs a ride height device. Debuted by Ducati towards the end of 2019, and an instrument which lowers the rear of the machine to the mid-corner exit phase. So both are partly aimed to reduce wheeling by keeping the front wheel planted. The load and therefore the stress on the front tire, though, does increase with that. Um, but it, it was introduced because of safety concerns. When you go into wheelies, you can't see in front of you. There's a whole lot of issues there. It's just not good, not safe. Actually, Michelin has been in the running for with Pirelli because Pirelli is like the second best tire out there. We've noted that when Michelin's contract is up, we're pretty sure Pirelli is going to like come in and grab into MotoGP because a lot of the drivers are like, I want Pirelli tires. And Pirelli is known as the street race of like street legal motorcycle bikes. So just a fun note there. In particular, the ride height devices have changed braking markers and the intensity with that as the device lowers the bike's center of gravity and the machine pitches differently into corners than ever before and riders can thus brake harder and essentially later, again adding stress to the front tire. So a lot of times the front tire goes out before the back tire because of that. And now on to some questions. So I guess, what is the main difference between a normal road motorcycle and a MotoGP cycle? So while MotoGP motorcycles are actually custom built for MotoGP, um, just to give you a brief example, MotoGP bikes don't have side view mirrors. They don't have taillights. They don't have a speedometer. Actually, the speedometer tells them their fuel and capacity and their heat. So they don't know the max speed they're going. So that's just some few things that kind of set MotoGP apart from regular motorcycles. And then to talk about some of the riding equipment. So following an incident where rider leathers have become unzipped whilst on track, a new system of positive faceting of the bike and of the like the racing leather have been agreed with the manufacturing using the leathers with this closing system to henceforth become now mandatory. Now to open it up some questions about equipment. Okay, so basically, I'm going to start by saying this question came because I was watching a Quadrant Twitch, and he was talking about how their race suits, like, puff up like Michelin Man when they get in a crash. So, what? So, essentially, like you said, they do kind of blow up like a Michelin Man, but not necessarily the way that you think. Every race suit is designed to have airbags in it, and that is to absorb the impact of the crash. And the way it does that is, first, it helps make the driver a little bit more safe as it protects a lot of the areas. A lot of times you'll see carbon fiber or carbon plates in the racing suit, like on the shoulder pads, on the elbows, on the knuckles, anywhere that has a lot of major impact, you'll see that have it. But yes, essentially they do have airbags and they do blow up like a Michelin man. Can you talk about how they're able to recover from these falls or crashes? I know I was watching some compilation videos of epic crashes, and I literally saw somebody surf their bike recently at a race. How do they do this? 
does years of experience count? Because that's really iconically how it goes. You learn techniques over time to better absorb crashes, how to get out of crashes. So one thing as a, as a motorcycle driver is you have to be aware of your surroundings at all times and prepare for the unexpected. So essentially they prepare for the unexpected. They always find outs of everything, but they do train very similar to a Formula One driver to help prevent a lot of neck restraints. They prepare their muscles and everything to absorb the impact a little bit more but it doesn't make them invincible. And now into some of the helmets. So MotoGP riders actually wear full face type helmets with the proper homologation, which means just a full on covering as safety always comes first. The helmets are highly customizable and the design of the air intake can actually be adjusted to you and the different levels of protection and comfort for the riders. While there is stipulations with FIM on certain ratings you have to stay under, RAI helmets are known as the best market for drivers to wear and are known on the track. So while you think of that, a lot of factors of the helmet design go into the safety of the driver and of the track. And now on to some questions. I mean, I've only recently got back into MotoGP, but one thing that I realized was they do not use radios to communicate with their riders like f1 for example rather they use boards like on the side of the circuit do you know why and how do they use those boards to communicate so those boards are used first and foremost to tell the rider where they are on the track and if there's any wet conditions or a yellow flag, for instance, on the track. They usually keep it very minimal. As far as the no radio communication, you're not allowed it. The FIM does not actually allow you to have radio communication. And a lot of that is because they don't want any type of distractions. A millisecond can change anything on a motorcycle if you zone out because you're listening to somebody talk i hate to say it but it can cost you your life it can cost a lot of severe injuries and so they minimize that impact in any way so if they can minimize that impact but not communicating to the people and only communicating them at one spot on the street it minimizes the less safety concerns that they have to deal with so Hannah, you've told us all about MotoGP, but where can we actually watch the races? Is there like a specific TV channel or a streaming platform that broadcasts everything? Yeah, so here in the US, NBC and CNBC are the most known places to watch MotoGP races, but MotoGP does have an app where you can watch live race content with a video pass and or it's, it's a really cool app, so I suggest downloading it no matter what. Um, YouTube TV also does have it. And Amazon Prime is actually in the works to have a contract with them to where you can watch it there. I don't know if it's officially rolled out, but it is known to be coming out in the following years where you just have to pay a little bit extra to have the enjoyment of MotoGP. So it's not as like well known to be watched like an F1 race. It is also pretty easy to watch if you just look out. I don't know about y'all, but I've enjoyed talking about MotoGP with y'all. So I just want to talk to you uh, briefly 
in our pre-outro, a motorsport fun fact of the day. Our motorsport fun fact is that the difference between F1 and MotoGP is pretty self-explanatory because, drum roll please, in case you didn't know, MotoGP is actually on two wheels while Formula One is four wheels. Did you enjoy your MotoGP lesson from Hannah? Because I know I did, and I have been counting down the days until this episode. Is there anything else you want to know about MotoGP that maybe we didn't touch on today? Let us on our socials. Everywhere we are at Paddock Girls Podcast, except Twitter. There you can find us at Paddock Girls Pod. You might be seeing some more TikTok content from Hannah touching on the legends, any other questions that we might have not gotten to in this episode. So definitely look for our TikTok. And as always, don't forget to share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And don't forget, guys, the countdown to Lights Out continues. 11 days to go. Thank you so much for joining us in the paddock. See you next time. Bye, Craig. See you, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig.